Hello! Welcome to the Romance Me Podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. I won around, you won around. Tiebreaker? Today we'll be discussing a ticking time box by Olivia Hale. Perhaps you've heard this before. A journalist and a billionaire walk into a bar and become texting buddies. <laughs> I am so lame. <laughs> it's so lame. I still love it. <laughs> the oh, journalist. Why do I write lame things? Because <laughs> you love hearing me read them. I don't actually think about that part. <laughs> I just try to get to the next sentence. That's not malicious. No. I appreciate that. <laughs> the journalist, Audrey Ford, is having a panic attack because blind dates are stressful. And the billionaire, Carter Kingsley, is just the sort of guy who can help out with a joke or two. They bond, exchange phone numbers, and stay connected. Later, Audrey meets Carter face-to-face once again when she goes to interview her new boss, who turns out to be Carter. As they try to figure out who they are to one another and whether they can even still be friends, Audrey and Carter might just discover a truth they didn't see coming. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So, let's start with the meet-cute in a bar. <laughs> yes? No? Yes, yes. Audrey is 26, and she has never really had a boyfriend, and she doesn't really date a lot because she hates first dates. And her friend has talked her into dating more as kind of an exposure therapy thing. Her friend even sets her up on a blind date with her former coworker Brian as a way to help out, I guess. I don't know. We don't really get to know this friend. Yeah. She's just there. Well, actually, she's not there. She moved away. <laughs> so, basically a texting friend. <laughs> I guess so, huh? <laughs> her blind date is late. Audrey is freaking out. At an increasing rate, the longer the date is late, the more she's freaking out. (laughs) She goes up to the bar and orders some ice water to try to help calm herself down. And as she's drinking her ice water, this man, who's also at the bar, starts talking to her. She takes in his appearance. He's, He's very attractive, but he's a businessman. He's dressed in a very expensive looking suit. He looks very poised. He's very charming. She's like, I don't know if I can trust this guy. She doesn't really like guys like that. But he does happen to calm her down by distracting her and they exchange banter. The bantering in this book was really fun. I really enjoyed the bantering between the two characters because they don't really take it that seriously most of the time. And it's just like a fun witty repartee she tells him why she's nervous he says oh well i'll rescue you if you need help just let me know give me a signal when brian finally shows up audrey goes and sits down she already has a drink and then he orders one and he's kind of butthurt that she didn't wait to order uh she's just supposed to sit there for 20 minutes and do nothing i guess (laughs) like twiddle her thumbs i don't know (laughs) maybe crochet something (laughs) But Brian is pretty damn awful. He is like, oh, you're a journalist, huh? And she's all, yep. 
And then he starts bashing journalism and explaining her job to her and talking about how he researches all the facts online. And oh, well, then he knows everything. <laughs> everything is online. <laughs> Turns out he's into conspiracy theories, Bigfoot and stuff. Which makes him very fascinating. But I must admit, <laughs> it definitely affects my opinion of him. <laughs> I'm okay if like, you know what, if if he started talking about that, but he was like, yeah, I think it's fun. It's interesting to see things about that. You yes. Know? That's totally different than he's out there. I have proof. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> one is a passing, uh, passing interest in cryptozoology. The other is maybe a little... <laughs> <laughs> a little not so good at finding credible information. Yes. He spends a long ass time talking about himself. And then as she's slowly tuning him out, he, <laughs> he gets all seductive sounding. He's all, I know women like it when a guy takes charge. And then he leans across the table and kisses her and she tries to pull away and he continues to lean toward her. <laughs> This kiss is not being broken. She finally escapes the kiss. She tries to end this date. She's like, okay, well, I need to go now. He's like, oh, are we going back to my place or your place? Audrey's like, ah, no. <laughs> the guy that Audrey had talked to earlier at the bar is watching. <laughs> he raises an eyebrow. Audrey gives him a help me signal and he comes over with this vague excuse he's just like oh i've been looking everywhere for you <laughs> walks her out as they're walking outside toward the subway station the subway stop what do you what do they call that in new york city the metro i don't know she says well what happened with your date because the guy had said he was meeting someone too. And when Audrey had looked over earlier, he was talking to a very attractive, elegant blonde woman. And he says, oh, I broke up with her. She's gone. <laughs> and then he gives Audrey his name, which is Carter, and his phone number. And he frames it like, I don't really do this, but I really enjoyed talking to you. And if you ever need to pick a guy's brain or need more rescuing from blind dates, let me know. And when Audrey gets on the subway, she texts him and says, my name's Audrey. Thanks so much. And that's the meet cute. <laughs> Yay. The next week or so, they text back and forth a lot. Audrey is still trying to date. She's on a dating app or something. She texts Carter about another first date that she's going on and asks him for advice. At this point, she has firmly placed herself in the friend zone with Carter, I think. It's not so much that she doesn't like him like that. It's more like she can't even imagine him liking her like that. So he's safe. Yeah. She sees this texting him as a way to get a guy's perspective on things. That's basically what he said, right? Yep, yep. So she just takes him at his word. <laughs> She also tells him about how she's starting a new job soon, and she's excited about that. Something I want to point out at this point in the story is that Carter has already come up with a nickname for her, and it's Kid. Yes. 
Carter is 32, so what, six years between them? Yeah. And Audrey points that out, too. She's like, oh, well, you're only six years older than me. That's crazy. Like, why are you calling me that? I'm not that much younger than you. I kind of think she's made it clear that she doesn't like it, and Carter's just like, I will continue to do this because it annoys. Poke, poke. Yeah. Yeah, I went back and forth. What did you think about the kid thing? One, I don't really like that nickname for a love interest. That seems kind of off-putting to me personally. Mm -hmm. But let's say I did. The fact that she has pointed out that she doesn't like it. Yeah. A couple times at this point already, because she tells him once at the bar, and then she tells him another time over text, and he doesn't stop. I think that's like a boundary issue. Yeah. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way throughout the whole story. Even though he's like totally charming and she seems to not mind it as the story goes on. It seems fine for Audrey, I guess. But I don't like the, I don't know. I don't like the boundary overstep. And he's, I think for the rest of the story, for most of it, he's pretty respectful of boundaries. So that particular one, it just kind of really grated on me. It's like, well, why this one though? <laughs> why do you respect these other boundaries but not this one <laughs> yeah fair enough why are her feelings about her own damn name not important to you yeah i don't know did you have an opinion on it really yeah i know kid is like a regional kind of thing like to have that kind of a nickname as a kid but yeah i'm of a similar mind as you it's like yeah but she doesn't like it and i mean the kid thing i would think it's a little weird because i'm also not used to that getting referred to as a kid in any kind of affectionate way now that I'm certainly not a kid anymore. <laughs> People call each other babe and baby. Babe kind of has like a different dual meaning to it though. Well, depending on the person. Does kid? Uh, depending on where you grow up, maybe. Yeah. I guess my my thing is she doesn't seem to like it. Is it really that much of either an ingrained habit or does it mean that much to you to call her a kid that you can't adjust? <laughs> yeah, I think if he had called her kid and she liked it, then it probably wouldn't ping my radar so much because, okay, she likes it. You know, maybe I wouldn't like it, but this isn't about me. It's about Audrey, right? Yes. But she doesn't like it and he continues to do it, which makes me then start thinking about how it's diminutive and yeah. like is this a power thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i don't think it necessarily is with him i think he's just teasing her yeah but it still is icky because it made me go there <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> icky by association right <laughs> i don't want my brain to go there yeah no fair enough Unless that's part of the story and it's meant to go there, but I don't think it is. So why? Yeah. <laughs> Audrey started her new job at The Globe. She is an investigative reporter. This is basically her dream job. She's a junior reporter at this point, but she has big goals of working her way up and being a big shot. She's been really enjoying during this time, her texting friendship with Carter, they text a lot. They kind of have this relationship where they're texting throughout the day and they have a lot of differing opinions on things. They banter a lot. 
They don't really go too deep, especially Carter. He hasn't really told her much about himself. She talks about herself some, like her dates and her job and things like that. But again, it hasn't gotten super personal. It's very surface level for the most part. When Audrey is at work, she gets an official email memo about how the New York Globe has now been acquired by Actier Capital, which is a (laughs) hands-off venture capital firm. This really worries her. She has a low opinion of that sort of thing. She sees it as vultures circling her beloved print media. They're going to sell it off and dismantle it chunk by chunk and destroy it just like other capital firms have done to other print media, which I I mean, that's a valid worry. (laughs) Yeah. It makes a lot of sense that she's worried about that. It seems like a lot of people are kind of worried about that. Audrey is talking to her boss, Tara Booker, who she super greatly admires. They see a guy leaving the office like he's already been fired. He's carrying all his stuff with him. And then Tara tells Audrey that they've already put a pause on all solo initiative reporting, which means that the article that Audrey's been really excited about working on is also paused because she's a junior reporter. She doesn't get to do fun stuff if there's a pause on that. Tara tells Audrey that she needs her to interview the new CEO right now. Like they're literally waiting on someone to interview him right now. Audrey's like, okay, fine. She knows this is just a fluffy puff piece, but she wants to do a good job because she wants to impress Tara and she wants to keep her job. (laughs) 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 And when she gets upstairs to the lofty CEO's office, she gets ushered inside and she sees Carter sitting there at the desk. And she's like, Carter? (laughs) She just seems so lost and confused. (laughs) then we get a point of view shift and for the first time we're in carter's head after this point it kind of switches back and forth fairly regularly i like that the author waited to put us in carter's head until this moment so that he could tell us what he saw when audrey comes in yeah he is also confused (laughs) he was not (laughs) expecting to see audrey there (laughs) yee During this whole interview scene, he's trying to set the tone like, no, we're still texting buddies. We're still friends. We can still joke (laughs) around, right? (laughs) But Audrey is like, this guy is a fucking businessman, just like I thought. I can't trust him. Oh, my God. He's going to kill my job. (laughs) When she interviews him, she mentions that... She was told that there were probably talking points already, and he said yes, but he wants her to interview him honestly. And so she asks him a lot of pointed questions, kind of intermixed with, but I thought you were cool, though. (laughs) (laughs) He does pretty well answering her questions. He tells her he values printed media and journalism. He has a personal interest in it, which is why he's the one of his business partners who was selected to be CEO of the Globe. He tries to reassure her that their texting friendship won't affect her job. But Audrey has put a wall up and she starts insisting on formality. She starts calling him Mr. Kingsley. She insists he calls her Ms. Ford. When she leaves, we have some thoughts from him, which I thought were kind of 
out of touch. I think there were a few places in this book where the author points out how out of touch a billionaire is with normal people. Yes. One of the places is right at the scene where he's thinking about how he really is kind of into her. He's been really enjoying texting with her. He doesn't understand why when he tried to playfully banter with her just now, she seemed upset by that. He supposes, well, I guess the texting is going to stop now. That's sad. (laughs) I feel bad for him on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, dude, you're a billionaire. It's hard for me to feel bad for you because you're a billionaire. Yeah. And poor little billionaire can't have a texting relationship with your underling. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you thought she's hot, but turns out she works for you. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> yes, my sympathies only go so far. I mean, he seems like a sweet guy. He's charming. He's funny. He's cute. He's self-deprecating. He's got a quick wit, but okay. Poor you. Go spend some money, I guess. <laughs> Stimulate the economy. <laughs> Over the next week, there is no more texting. It seems like three more people have been fired. Tension at the office is rising a bit. Everyone's kind of worried about their jobs. And Audrey has figured that Carter has proven her right. He looked like the type of guy who couldn't be trusted. Rich, polished, businessy. And guess what? He can't. He's doing exactly what she feared. <laughs> One of the reasons Audrey has this hang up about businessy, polished, charming dudes is because when she was young, her dad got conned by a con man who presented himself like a rich, charming, polished business dude mm-hmm. and ended up stealing all of their savings, including college funds for both Audrey and her brother, retirement savings. All of that. It was devastating to her family. It was devastating to her father. Audrey's developed a general mistrust of that sort of person. If you have that sort of vibe, she's just like, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) You must be secretly evil. (laughs) Yes. Carter calls an all-hands meeting. Once everyone gathers, he tells them that they are closing two departments at the Globe editorial and circulation which happen to be humongous departments everyone's just kind of like to themselves (laughs) Um, (laughs) everyone seems like upset carter says okay well if there's no more questions i will be ending this meeting now and audrey's like he didn't even ask us if we had any questions (laughs) (laughs) so she raises her hand like a badass The editor-in-chief, Wesley, notices and points it out to Carter as he's walking off. And Carter's like, oh, (laughs) crap. (laughs) (laughs) They make eye contact. (laughs) Audrey asks, why did they choose to close those two departments? And if there will be more cuts? And he answers, but it's one of those vaguely unsatisfying press answers. And then ends the meeting. Audrey is now feeling like her whole friendship with Carter is tainted. (laughs) She can't even appreciate what they had. (laughs) It was all a lie. (laughs) Everyone in the meeting is dispersing and Audrey's just kind of shell-shocked and Carter approaches her and compliments her on the interview piece that she had written about him. And she says, well, you're just like every other vulture hedge fund. (laughs) And he says, but this isn't the first company I've turned around. He's trying to say, I'm trying to fix it, though. Like, (laughs) 
My goal is not to be a vulture. My goal is to fix. (laughs) She just walks off. Later that night, he texts her and compliments her on standing up to him at the meeting. And he also says that nothing's changed. And she replies with, everything's changed. Which just shows how freaking out of touch he is. (laughs) It's like, yes, everything (laughs) has changed, Carter. You are my boss. You are firing people. (laughs) How can I be friends with you right now? Three days pass. Carter texts her and invites her to lunch. He wants to have a chance to explain his plans for the globe off the record. He's trying to win her back. (laughs) Audrey agrees, but she's planning to treat it like an investigative job. She's like, well, I'm an investigative reporter and I'm going to trick him into spilling more info than he intended. Ha ha. (laughs) When they meet up for lunch, it's at this kind of dive diner. Carter explains it has like a really rich journalistic history. Audrey's like, yeah, but you were going to explain stuff to me. I don't care about that right now. He tells her that the globe is on the edge of bankruptcy and is currently beholden to advertisers and that the layoffs were really the only way to truly keep the globe afloat for now. And he does seem really passionate and invested in getting her to understand his motives. He seems genuine to her. He even asks her to help him if she feels comfortable with it. Tell him who's working hard, for example. And in return, he'll help her with men like before. So (laughs) it's fine, right? Yes, everything's fine. (laughs) And we get the first, well, I don't know if it's the first clue. We get one of the first clues that Carter is secretly into her because the conversation turns to her dating again. He keeps bringing it there, how she's nervous during first dates and such. And he points out, well, you have no trouble telling me what you think. And I'm a man, just like all the other dates that you've been on. (laughs) And she says, Yeah, but it's not like that. And he says, oh, yeah, not like we would ever date. Ha ha, JK. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, is he fucking with me? (laughs) (laughs) But again, she's firmly placed herself in the friend zone. She's like, no, he couldn't possibly be interested in me. He's interested in hot, leggy, blonde women who could be models. (laughs) I'm pretty, but not like that. So they toast to friendship. They're going to give it a try again. Carter then has a meeting with his business partners who all happen to be characters from the prior books. This is book four in the series. And he works with three other dudes who are all now in happy relationships. Imagine that. (laughs) Yay. He tells them about how he's going to the reporter's ball soon to network and maybe find more donors. After this meeting, he texts with Audrey And he's really happy she agreed to be his friend, but he is also wishing it would be appropriate for him to take her to the reporter's ball. He realizes it's not, so there's that at least. (laughs) (laughs) But he can tell, like, he knows Audrey would love it and he wants her to be able to go. And she's a junior reporter, so he figures she's not going to get to go. And he invited a occasional friend with benefits to go with him. Back with Audrey, it's after work, and Booker asks Audrey if she would like to go to the reporter's ball in her place because Booker's babysitter fell through. Audrey's like, hell yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) She's super excited. She runs home, she 
dives through all her clothes. She doesn't have anything really ball appropriate. She ends up wearing her old prom dress. It's elegant. It's all black. It's not... I think there was a point made that it's not like a poofy prom dress. While she's there, she's just soaking in the energy. She's just loving everything. She's recognizing people. These are all superstars in the journalism world. <laughs> she sees a guy who she greatly admires, an investigative journalist guy, Dean Allen. And she's just like, oh my gosh, that's actually him. Yeah, you know, she's all fangirling in the corner or whatever. She happens to get hit on by a pushy guy. And then Carter magically sweeps in. He's <laughs> like, oh, there you are, darling. <laughs> I wondered where you were. <laughs> Acts like they're together. Pushy guy leaves. There's more bantering. Carter says another thing that if Audrey had a clue, she would pick up that he was into her. He's like, yeah, it's not like I read up on that dive bar to impress you. Why would I try to impress you? <laughs> I like that the author interspersed little hints here and there. It's like, Audrey is super clueless. She is. I kind of liked that about her, though. I mean, she's really sharp and observational about everything else. But when it pertains to Carter liking her, she's just like, yeah, no. He couldn't possibly be into me. It's crazy. <laughs> she tells him that she had thought of him as peanut guy initially when they first met. And he's just like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> there was a little part of me um, that wanted her to start calling him peanut. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I would have so been here for that. <laughs> Especially when In he's like, kid. kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Peanut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially because he doesn't seem to really like it. He's all, oh, I made that impression, huh? Great. <laughs> yes. How does it feel, darling? <laughs> she tells him about her new nickname at work, Spitfire. She's been named this due to her behavior at the all hands meeting. To Carter's credit, he does start calling her Spitfire quite a bit now, in addition to Kid. Yes. And I liked that. He doesn't call her Audrey much, <laughs> unless unless things are serious, but he does use Spitfire a lot now, and he uses Kid still. This is kind of the point in the story where I think Audrey just accepts that that's her nickname to him. Yeah. She doesn't seem to fight it anymore. <laughs> She's given up. She asks him who he brought as his date, and he's all, oh, she had to leave early. <laughs> In the back of a trunk? What? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, that seems to happen a lot with you. And he says, oh, I only cut dates short when you show up. Uh-huh. <laughs> he finds out she's super into Dean Allen, this reporter guy, and he has met him before, so he introduces them. Audrey spends like the whole rest of the time talking to that guy <laughs> as the party's ending, as the ball is winding down. Carter finds her and he finds out that she's taking the subway home and he insists on driving her home instead. He he has a driver. He's not driving. They've both drunk a lot. <laughs> They're both tipsy. She tells him that Dean Allen and Carter are so far above the rest of the normies. <laughs> 
<laughs> Carter tries to disagree and Audrey points out that she doesn't know anything real about him, like where he grew up or who he's dating or where he currently lives or literally anything personal. <laughs> <laughs> When they get in the car, she asks him what he gets out of their texting relationship. And he says, is it so hard for you to believe that I just want a friend? And he says that people are often intimidated by him. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you're a fucking billionaire. You're a hot billionaire. Of course, people are intimidated by you. (sighs) (laughs) They both have their blind spots. He can't possibly like me. And what? Me? Intimidating? But I'm cuddly. Maybe wear jeans and a t-shirt and people won't be so intimidated. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, but let's face it. If they were jeans and a t-shirt, they wouldn't be jeans and a t-shirt. That's true. (laughs) But I'm accessible. (laughs) He's a billionaire, but really just, you know, salt of the earth. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) He's just average Joe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Wearing jeans that, you know, may or may not be more than your rent, depending on where you live. (laughs) Ouch. Am I wrong? (laughs) No. That's why it's ouch. (laughs) He drops her off at her apartment in Queens, and he shares with her that he grew up in Queens. So Audrey internalizes this as, okay, maybe he will tell me more personal things. Seems like he's picked up on that. Back in Carter's head, I think it's the next day. He's having a bad day. He's having trouble restructuring the globe. Um, It turns out that one of the reasons it hasn't gone bankrupt at this point is because it relies entirely on advertisers. What? It needs to make money? (laughs) (laughs) Well, over subscriptions and things. Yes. You know, that's the only way it's making money now. It's a problem because that means that maybe the journalists can't be as unbiased as they would like to be (laughs) because they have to kowtow to the whims of the advertisers or else there will be no job it's a real problem in today's print media well all media really Mm -hmm. how do they survive if they're not getting paid and attention and and all that but mostly carter's just upset because audrey had texted him that her last date went well and she's going on a second date with that guy and has asked him for advice. Uh-oh. Typically, he replies right away, but he's been letting this text sit and burn a hole in his pocket. Yes. Just not quite so prompt. No. He asks Wesley, the editor-in-chief, to introduce him around to all the investigative reporters. He's thinking about Audrey, and Audrey is super fired up about journalism, and one of the things she told him is that the investigative reporters are the backbone of the paper. And so he wants to go meet them all. A lot of them are really excited to tell him about the stories they're working on, but kind of standoffish with him. Like, they obviously don't like him. But he's cuddly. (laughs) One of them even says, I don't have time right now. (laughs) And Carter's like, okay, I'll talk to you later. Which, you know, that's got to be a bold move. (laughs) The boss's boss's boss comes down. I want to talk to you uh, later. (laughs) Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I kind of liked it. You want to be treated like every other person, right? Guess what, dude? People get told to fuck off. 
Carter doesn't seem to mind it. Like, it doesn't seem to bother him at all, either. He's just like, oh, all right, that's fun. Oh, what a novelty. Uh-huh. Oh, he didn't kiss my ass. <laughs> you know what this what? made me think of? The uh, William Shatner song, Common People. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to do whatever common people do. If you can always step back into billionaire land, <laughs> you will never get it. Yep. <laughs> so true he ends up at audrey and declan's desk last declan is audrey's desk mate he's also a junior reporter they have kind of a friendly rivalry ish sort of relationship he first talks to declan and declan tells him about how they're junior reporters so mostly they just support the other guys audrey says well tell him about that story you were working on though And so Declan does, and he kind of opens up about it. He gets all jazzed about his solo story that he had been working on before the freeze. Audrey then brings up, (laughs) yeah, see, you froze all solo reporting, so we don't get to do these stories that we like. You suck. (laughs) Consequences to your actions, dipshit. (laughs) She tells... (laughs) She tells Carter about the story she was working on, too. She gets animated... Carter sees that every time the reporters talk about what they're personally working on, they're super invested, super passionate about their work. He says he's going to lift the freeze. So feel free to do those stories, guys. When Carter and Wesley leave, Wesley says, oh, dude, some of them overstepped. I will have to have Booker talk to them. Specifically, the one guy who told Carter to fuck off. (laughs) And then Audrey (laughs) being a spitfire. But Carter says he likes that they aren't sycophants and he doesn't want them to get in trouble for it. Yes. And Wesley does that thing like, oh, oh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh Uh-huh. Totally. He's slimy. (laughs) Yeah. When Carter gets back to his office, he finally replies to Audrey's text with some advice. But Audrey replies back and says that her date was canceled. Carter's like, okay, I have to make a move. Some dude is going to realize how awesome she is soon enough. (laughs) I need to throw my hat into the ring here. Mm -hmm. Back in Audrey's head, she's relieved her date canceled on her because she still gets super anxious about dates. So instead of dating, she's spending time working on her story at home. It's her passion project. Yay, passion. Carter calls her, which is bizarre. (laughs) he's never called before what is this Ah. (laughs) is that what phones are for no i think that's just a rumor he says oh well since your date was canceled will you let me take you to dinner and she says oh yeah sure and he says okay good because i'm outside (laughs) (laughs) i'm conveniently located on your front door step (laughs) (laughs) she's like are you wearing a tux he says, white knights need their armor, you know. Ha ha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come on, Audrey. He's so fucking nervous. <laughs> <laughs> he has to wear the tux to hide. Yes. <laughs> She's just wearing her normal clothes. She goes downstairs. She kind of thinks it's funny how they're all mismatched. <laughs> <laughs> he takes her to this pizza place that he actually goes to a lot. This is his regular pizza place, and the people recognize him there. A tux in a pizza place. Yep. 
<laughs> oh, please tell me that he wears a bib. <laughs> of course, he wouldn't have to get the stain out. <laughs> no, he's perfect. He doesn't drop food on himself. Silly me. Thinking he was human. He's practically perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins. <laughs> Only he doesn't do magic. He can just... No, he has money. Make it rain. <laughs> if he so chose. <laughs> Which he never does. No. How, how else do billionaires keep their billions? <laughs> <laughs> True. You don't spend the billions. That's not how you stay a billionaire. No. You know, it is kind of funny. I mean, we're ragging on him pretty bad. <laughs> but the thing is, is he really respects Audrey's boundaries about money. Yes. I've read other billionaire romances where they're like, oh, let me shower you in gold and shackle you to my little golden cage. Mm. Let me buy you all the nice things. He's not like that. Even though there are things that he doesn't like. Like her living situation, for example. He really hates her living situation. <laughs> She's like, stop bugging me about my living situation, dude. This is what I can afford. He's like, okay, fine. I will hold it in as much as possible. But the most overstepping he does is he buys her a lock for her door because she shares a house. Yes. She rents a room in a share house and she doesn't even have a lock on her door to her room. And that's the most he does. And honestly, that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah all things considered no and he does try to keep his mouth shut about that stuff when she calls him on it yes while they're eating pizza he asks audrey why she has anxiety about dating and she explains her past dating history is kind of non-existent they talk about some other stuff like carter's mom and how he goes to this pizza place a lot it's kind of near where he grew up they talk about the globe and how Carter's planning to give more resources to the investigative team. And when he walks her back home, he says he wishes he'd taken her with him to the reporter's ball. And she's all, well, what did you end up telling your date anyway when she left early? And he says, well, I told her that someone very special had arrived. Then he says, surprise, this was a secret date. Ha <laughs> ha, got you. <laughs> uh. And you weren't nervous at all. <laughs> and she's just like what he actually is into me me little me what? he asks her to think about if she'd be willing to let him ask her out again and then he kisses her cheek i think he's doing this to just place the ball firmly in her court and make sure that she is consenting to dating completely yes Due to the power Imbalance. issue at work, possibly. Yeah. And then he says that he's going to be out of town for a few days, but hopefully when he gets back, she'll have decided whether he can take her out for real. While he's out of town, he is obsessing about Audrey. He is so gone on her. Yes. It's so cute. I like how into her he is. I like that he loves her personality, like how passionate she is and all that. Mm -hmm. um in addition to she's cute and all he's thinking about how he wants to be the kind of man she wants but he's worried he won't be able to be because he's never really been in a serious relationship before it's he's always dated for fun because he's a billionaire i guess i don't know like he's just never found someone he felt serious about i i guess at 32 okay well no i shouldn't 
That's not kind. <laughs> I mean, you could date for all kinds of reasons. He just clearly didn't have marriage on his mind every time he was dating. Or if he did, that's why the dates didn't extend beyond a certain point. But how will I know if they ever like me for me and I'm a billions? Well, that's part of it, right? Yeah. I think there is a point Which where is he fair. thinks about how he likes that Audrey doesn't care about that. I think there are very few people that want to be liked for a thing about them. <laughs> Regardless of what that thing is, right? Right. Whether it's the amount of money they have in the bank or personal networking skills or a physical characteristic. I think that's probably why these billionaire characters are often so closed off to love. Yes. Until they meet that one woman or man, potentially. They've just been used or they're worried they'll be used. Yeah, because, I mean, they have everything else. They don't have emotional, romantic, emotional contentment, which cannot be purchased. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it's true. Good point. Can't buy love. Not that kind. He spends a long day of meetings and networking and privately freaking out over having placed the ball firmly in Audrey's court. <laughs> ah, I have no control here. This is horrible. I hate this. <laughs> I don't like not having the power. <laughs> <laughs> he does not. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> he sends her a text how is your day going please tell me anything tell me something <laughs> i need to know how you're feeling i'm not codependent you're codependent <laughs> <laughs> she finally responds and says oh i had just gotten home from a date it was a rain check with the guy who had canceled carter's like shit 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 <laughs> no <laughs> How do I get myself out of this? <laughs> Does this mean she decided against me? What? No. He calls her. Ring-a-ding-ding. -ding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm in a weird mood. They have this kind of awkward conversation. He's trying to not be pushy, but also find out, like, why she went on this date with this other guy and how she thinks about him wanting to date her. <laughs> She ends up saying, yeah, no, I'm not going to see that guy again because I don't want to date while I'm considering in reference to dating Carter. Yes. He says, oh, well, maybe we could talk about your thought process. Because <laughs> I'm assuming you have one, which is good. Talk me through this. <laughs> what, what are you considering that pertains to me? Include me, please. I'm not needy. You're needy. <laughs> i don't know i like i liked that he was so nervous about yeah. it i thought it was really cute yeah no i did too they start talking about intimacy he's like yeah that's something we've not really discussed before and he brings up kissing and he says something like oh you probably like being kissed and she turns the conversation to sex carter's like oh my god <laughs> is this happening <laughs> this is happening <laughs> but not so much because distance and phones <laughs> she she's like do you think we'd have good sex and he's like we would have great sex it would be fantastic <laughs> do you not know that we're in a romance novel <laughs> <laughs> it would be mind altering <laughs> she asks him to tell her what they would do and he starts describing this fantasy about her this conversation proceeds to phone sex 
it's amazing, but also awkward for Audrey when she's done. She's like, I cannot believe I just did this. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know how to handle myself now. This is odd. (laughs) Oh, poor dear. Carter's like, no, this is great. (laughs) She's like, will this make things awkward? And he's like, no, of course not. (laughs) Why would it be awkward? Uh, Carter's back in town. Audrey is leaving work early. Carter happens to see her leaving. So of course he sends her a text. She says, oh, I'm going to the dentist to get two wisdom teeth out. He's like, oh, who's picking you up? She says, well, my brother was supposed to, but he can't. So I'm just going to take the subway. He's like, can you give me the address just in case? (laughs) She's like, oh, yeah, sure. Just in case. Um, she is fucking high after this procedure. <laughs> so, so high. Uh. Carter luckily did not wait to be contacted. He showed up. Yes. <laughs> in most stories, I'd be like, whoa, there, down boy boundaries. But in this case, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's going to take the subway like that. Oh. <laughs> that is bad. Oh, no, no, no. He takes her home. This is the first time he's been inside her place. And like I said earlier, he is just not pleased at all with her living conditions. He's just like, oh, you live where it smells like mold and your door has no lock. This is great. You love it here, huh? This is good for you? You like this? (laughs) He's like, well, do you at least have food? She's like, oh, yeah, of course I do. He opens the fridge. There's nothing she can eat after having wisdom teeth out. So he goes shopping. <laughs> she she kind of passes out because she's so high. And when she wakes up, he's still there. He's reading the paper, which is a major turn on for her. She likes a guy who reads physical print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey. Support my industry. It turns me on. Hell yeah. (laughs) She's like, oh, thanks for taking care of me. I would like it if you asked me out. And he's like, well, that'd be nice if you said that when you weren't high. (laughs) I'm not high. You're high. He says, okay, well, then I'll ask you out tomorrow. (laughs) She's like, okay, I'll say yes tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. True to his word, the next day he calls and asks her out for Friday. When they go out, he takes her to the bar where they first met. It's kind of cute. He's romantic, secretly. She tells him the story about how her dad got conned out of all his savings, and that's why she doesn't trust businessmen. Also, that's why she's interested in journalism, because at the time, no one in the media was interested in looking into this story at all. And she's like, that's messed up. I want to be that person that looks into that stuff. When they go back to her place, she invites him up for a glass of wine on the fire escape. He's like, heck yeah, I want to come inside for a glass of wine on the fire escape. I love moldy apartments. This is great. It's my favorite terrain. So they kiss and make out on the fire escape and it starts to get kind of heated. And Audrey is ready to go. She invites him inside. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to rush you. And she's all, well, I kind of want to do stuff, though. And he's like, yeah, how long has it been for you? You said it's been a while. And she's like, oh, like a year and a half. He's like, yeah, maybe we should not rush you tonight. We've been drinking. (laughs) Sadly, he leaves. Doesn't stay the night. Poor Audrey. 
I would feel bad for Carter, but he's the one who denied. So I don't. (laughs) Something about that. And I've noticed this in other books, too. Um, especially since we've started doing the podcast and I think about these things more critically. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but why is it always the guy deciding when the when the woman is ready to have sex? That is an excellent question. Because I'm fine. Like, it's fine. If he doesn't want to have sex, that's fine. Right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. Yeah. But he did. And she did. But he's like, no, you're not ready. I don't want to rush you. He's placing that on her, but it's actually him. He's worried about being able to perform in a way that will blow her mind. And he's like, I can't do that right now. I'm too caught up in the moment or whatever. But instead of saying that, I need more time. He says, you need more time. Yeah. That really fucking bugs. You know, he wants to provide the best experience possible because, you know, he's the provider. So if he can't do that, or doesn't want to, or etc. And it's not really a reflection on Carter as a character, because this is just extremely common. Do you think it's it's a way of having having him, Carter, or insert him, be like, gentlemanly? He's trying to spin it that way. Yes. So, okay. So not actually gentlemanly, just hiding either insecurities or... Something of that ilk. Yeah, why can't why can't men be vulnerable in this moment? Why can't they be not ready for the sex? Well, I mean, socially, usually we're told the tale that they're well, they're always ready. Which is why in a story written by a woman for women primarily, I'm assuming. And and not just this story, any story. Yeah. Romance stories typically written by women for women. Why can't the man be vulnerable? Do we not want a vulnerable man? Do we not want a man who can express that he's not ready? Maybe socially we haven't figured out how to do that yet. You know, we're all given very similar narratives. Yeah. Well, not all, but you know what I mean? Under the quote unquote dome of a similar culture. So it makes sense. It it doesn't surprise me that this sort of he telling her that she's ready because of what He's supposed to represent, right? He's taking care of her, so he will let her know. She's not allowed to have opinions about herself. She's not allowed to be in touch with her own sexuality. It's not that dissimilar for how she feels about her appearance and how he feels about her appearance, right? Because it's like, oh, she's attractive because he says she's attractive. Right. Like he's bringing the value. Exactly. Just change out value for you know, sexual enjoyment. Yeah, I'm not saying this is a flaw in the story at all. It's just I I want romance authors to let their guy express that he's not ready, if that's the case. Yeah. It's okay to not be ready, no matter your gender. You cannot be ready, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think that would make him, him being the general him, mm-hmm. not just Carter, but any hero, would make him more emotionally available to the heroine or to their partner Mm -hmm. which would make their relationship stronger potentially yes give them an an opportunity to have intimacy sharing yeah personal things versus just sex something to think about 
assuming we have any authors listening, which we probably don't. But if we do, <laughs> who knows? I want some of that. Let's have some of that in the coming new year. Well, new year, so maybe? I don't know if it's the next day or a couple days later, but Carter is visiting with his mom. He's been trying to convince her to move out of the apartment that she raised him in, and she is not having it. This is the home where she raised her son. This is where she has all the good memories. It doesn't matter that they got the apartment from Carter's shitty dad. <laughs> she loves it here. Speaking of your shitty dad, Carter, he called me the other day. <laughs> He's finally out of prison and wants to talk to you too. Carter's like, yeah, no, uh-uh, <laughs> nuh -uh, no, not at all. <laughs> hate him don't want to talk to him it's been like 10 years since he's talked to him i think yeah don't love that for me <laughs> his mom says well i'll support whatever your decision is i just want you to think about it like maybe maybe you would get some closure from talking to him maybe you'd finally get to say what you need to say think about it from that perspective what can he do for you versus what you can do for him carter's like yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> After that, it's time for his second date with Audrey. Carter has remembered literally everything Audrey has said to him <laughs> about what she likes about guys. And one of the things that she said is she likes a guy who'll cook her dinner. And so he takes her to his apartment and he cooks her dinner. And it's... <laughs> It's funny because he's not a good chef. Like, he does okay. <laughs> hey, she didn't get food poisoning. That is important. <laughs> yeah, he cooks her steak and potatoes as they're eating. He's like, yeah, so maybe I should have done a salad or something. And <laughs> Oh, crap, there's no sauce of any kind. <laughs> I got ketchup. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She's sweet about it. She likes that he tried and it is good. It's just not gourmet or whatever, which I did like, you know, yes. sometimes you have a billionaire character who's amazing at everything. Here he is not amazing. He's adequate. Yay. <laughs> That's fine. Like I'm I happy said, with that. No food poisoning. Good job, buddy. Right? <laughs> hey, if you're going to cook me an adequate dinner and I don't have to buy it, and I don't have to make it, and I don't have to clean up after, it's a win. I like it. <laughs> Go me. Exactly. I like it. I was like, oh, wait, there's no veggies. There's no salad. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> she suggests that they watch a movie. He's like, oh, yeah, no, of course. Let's watch a movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's super excited. <laughs> yes. Oh, she's in my place. I love this. <laughs> I've lured her into my lair. Now I shall never let her leave. <laughs> Twirling the mustache. <laughs> they don't really watch the movie. They make out on the couch. It starts to progress. And Audrey asks him to show her what he was doing that night on the phone. And he's into it. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll show you. <laughs> but then he asks the same thing of her. And even though she's kind of embarrassed about it or whatever, she she does. He's super into it, of course. They take it into the bedroom and finally have the sex. And he asks her to stay the night. And she does. Of course, it's amazing, obviously. 
Hmm. The next morning, Audrey kind of seems to want to define the relationship a little bit, even though she doesn't really say that. But she's kind of like, so what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) What are we going to do about work, though? Are we going to see each other more or (laughs) what's going on? What if we're discovered? And they kind of land on they'll pretend they don't really know each other at work and see each other as much as possible on the weekends and in the evenings. This is where we start the whole sneaking around at work thing. But nothing comes of it. Yeah. I thought there was an opportunity for something to come of it, but really nothing does. It's fine. Zero problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's Carter's birthday. His day starts out pretty well. He gets a midnight happy birthday text from Audrey. His mom calls in the morning and sings to him. And then he gets a text from his dad. And it's kind of an innocuous text. Like, oh, you know, happy birthday, son. I'd like to meet up with you. Miss you. I'm sorry, etc. But Carter doesn't want to talk to his dad. He hates that his dad reached out. Does his mom give the dad the number or does the dad intuit the number? I forget if we know how that happens. I don't think we know. Okay. I thought that was weird too. Because it doesn't seem like the mom would. It didn't seem like she would. And it just, considering how very against seeing him he is, I was just curious. Yeah, it kind of seems odd to me. But maybe, I mean, the dad for all his faults is kind of clever so maybe he has some way to figure it out i don't know yeah maybe carter's had the same cell number for 10 years (laughs) i don't know who knows audrey pretends like she's delivering papers to carter's office but she is actually delivering him a birthday cupcake that kind of improves his mood a little bit but he does end up venting about his crappy dad audrey basically says The same thing his mom did. Maybe if you talk to him, you could tell him what you thought. How you feel about things. It would help you. But she doesn't pressure him or anything. I think hearing it from his mom and then his girlfriend essentially kind of makes it seem like, oh, well, maybe it's okay to want that. Yep. (laughs) Maybe it's okay to feed my own emotional needs sometimes. Who knows? (laughs) A week passes... Audrey tells Carter how she's finished her first solo story. She asks him to read it before she turns it in. They talk some more about his crappy dad. Crappy dad is a big thing right now. Then he asks her to join him for dinner on Friday with his friends slash business partners and their wives slash girlfriends. So this is where we get, oh, cameo from prior books. What a quinky dink. They all met at work too. <laughs> It wasn't until this cameo moment that I was like, oh, I think this is a book in a series. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, the author didn't make the cameos that big a deal. It's just, oh, look, surprise cameo. We didn't need to really know much about them to have the story move forward. Yeah, which is good. I think probably the most important cameo is Tristan, which is one of Carter's business partners. Because he mentions he's his mentor. Yes. Or he was. And then later he gets advice from him. Yeah. But really, that's it. And who knows if that was brought up in Tristan's book or not. I don't know. So. It wouldn't really matter. No, I don't think it really does. 
the important thing is that it plays a role in this book and it's talked about here. So no, I, yeah, I really like how she did the cameos and stuff. Same. When they're at the dinner, everything seems great. All the ladies seem awesome. They are super accepting of Audrey. Everyone's like, oh, good. Carter finally has a date. (laughs) (laughs) The guys, of course, are all talking business. At some point, Audrey is in the other room talking to one of the other women. And as they head back in to join up with the guys again, Audrey overhears them talking about the globe. While this whole time, Carter's been very much like, I am saving the globe. We're not going to sell it. We're not going to dismantle it. Don't worry. His business partners aren't necessarily in that same frame of mind. They're like, well, if it loses this much money, we should sell it. Really, we should like wait this long and then sell it. And Carter's like, well, I guess that's a good backup plan, which he kind of always knew. Yeah. (laughs) Audrey is mad. She is so mad. She's like, I can't believe him now. I trusted you. (laughs) I think part of it is she's mad that he told her a pretty half truth instead of the full truth, (laughs) which wasn't pretty. I think that's a major theme in this book is ugly truth is important to good relationships. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is really where that kind of picks up in the story. We start to learn that Carter isn't necessarily perfect. (laughs) Imagine that. He is human, even though he's a billionaire. (laughs) When Audrey goes into the room, Carter realizes she overheard. He knows he fucked up. After dinner, she wants to go home to her home by herself. (laughs) Carter wants to explain himself. And she's like, I thought you already explained it to me, and I believed you, (laughs) but it's not true. He really wants her to go home with him. He really hates her going home to her apartment. One, because he wants her with him all the time, but also because her apartment is deemed unsafe. (laughs) But he drops her off, and she goes home alone to cry, and it's sad, and she's just dealing with her feelings. Later, Audrey is at work, working late. Carter finds her. Everyone else is gone. He wants to talk to her. She's like, well, you can talk to me after I'm done working. He's like, well, let me help you. She's like, okay, fine, here. So he fact checks articles with her. When they do talk, he apologizes for not being more truthful from the start. He's like, yeah, I should have told you the whole truth right away. But I didn't want you to run away from me. (laughs) like okay well that was (laughs) manipulative of you (laughs) she says to him that this thing between them will only work if they are honest with each other even about the hard things and he agrees and they kiss and make up and she agrees to stay over at his place that night and the next week is seemingly wonderful she spends (laughs) pretty much every night at his place everything's going great One day, Audrey went to work earlier than Carter, so Carter's on his way to work alone, and of course, his dad shows up. Of course. He's been lurking outside of his place. (laughs) See how weird it is, buddy? (laughs) He asks him for coffee. Carter's like, fine. I guess I'll try to take my mom and Audrey's advice. The dad apologizes for all the bad stuff that he did and says he wants a chance to prove that he's a changed man. He seems sincere. Carter Mm -hmm. isn't 
super open to that, <laughs> understandably. Mm-hmm. So Carter's dad had two families. <laughs> he had his first family with his wife he was legally married to and children with that woman. And then he had his second family with his other wife that he was not legally married to, Carter's mom, <laughs> and Carter. He was a busy businessman, wasn't home a lot, and it was always explained to him that that was why. But actually, he was with his, quote, real family, unquote, during holidays and such. Eventually, it comes out that his dad was a con man. <laughs> and his poor business dealings all catch up with him. And it comes to light that he has these two families. And he gets put away into prison for 15 years. But he gets out in 10 for good behavior. Carter didn't know about this second family until he was in his early 20s. So this was a total mindfuck for him. Like the man he thought his dad was, wasn't real. So I totally get why he's so off put by the dad and does not want to have any contact with him and does not trust him whatsoever. Yeah. The dad does seem super contrite, genuinely sad that his bad life choices ruined other people's lives <laughs> and hurt his kids and everything. Mm -hmm. He really does, but it's not Carter's job to accept that apology if he doesn't want to. And I am fine with him still being mad. Yep. The dad changes the subject a bit. He seems to be really proud of Carter. You're the one who got my smarts. He tries to talk about other stuff going on in his life, his other kids. Carter's like, you leave my mom alone. Don't contact her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> his dad is like, okay, okay, okay. Toward the end of the conversation, Carter has the suspicion that his dad is the same con man who stole from Audrey's dad. And he confirms that with his dad and his dad's like yeah i don't really remember them but i was yeah i i was in that area i had this thing going on with dentists <laughs> audrey's dad is a dentist so now carter's faced with a choice does he tell audrey the ugly truth this whole time audrey's been wanting to track down this con person for justice does he give that to her <laughs> or does he protect himself i guess or hide from it because he's worried she'll leave him if she finds out it's his dad. Okay, I know it's part of the theme of the story, right? The mm. ugly truth, all yes. that. But I don't think that Audrey has given him any reason to think that she would leave over that. She knows he's estranged from his father. Yeah. She does not think he's like that at all. So I don't know why he's worried about it so much. I think it's just his own personal insecurities, but we don't get a lot of that. This is really the back half of the book, the back third even, is where Carter's insecurities all bubble up. And I wish we had a little bit more of that up to this point. So it felt more natural once we get here where he's making the decision that, no, I'm not going to tell Audrey because I'm worried she'll leave me. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, you're dumb, Carter. Don't be dumb. Stop being dumb. Yeah, I had a hard time buying into that. Me too. It just, it seemed like there weren't enough hints and things leading up to that to where that moment felt justified in general and authentic. Especially after he promised her. Like, they had this talk. 
Mm-hmm. They talked about this already. She's told him that she wants the truth, the unvarnished truth. And she forgave him for lying about the thing with her job, which is super duper important to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that to me seemed like a more breaking upable, <laughs> if you will, thing than the dad thing. Yeah, I could see it being more justified leaving him over that lie than this lie. Or not not the lie, but that circumstance versus this circumstance. Especially with the forbidden workplace thing being more of a thing than it actually was. Two weeks pass. Has Carter told Audrey? No. <laughs> he has not. Audrey's article that she was super excited about has been published on the front page. This is super exciting. She's talking to Carter about it. She says that the next story she does is going to be on con artists. And in part, it's because she wants to find the guy who swindled her dad. And even though this is two weeks late, this is an extremely convenient time for Carter to bring that up. (laughs) But he does not. He looks uncomfortable and he doesn't seem to be acting exactly like himself. But Audrey doesn't really know why. (laughs) And the conversation shifts and... She mentions, yeah, I told my parents about you. And he's like, yeah, I want you to meet my mom. They make their relationship official. They discuss what that might look like at work. He suggests maybe he could step down as CEO. She's like, yeah, I don't know. Let's think about it. They have sex. It's amazing. As they're having sex, she's like, I'm probably in love with this guy. And he asks her, please don't ever leave me. (laughs) And she says she won't. So you can tell he's feeling guilty. Mm Mm-hmm. Carter, why didn't you tell her? It would have been fine. Well, unfortunately for Carter, he takes her to visit with his mom. His mom is super nice. She really likes Audrey. As Carter's fixing a faucet or something, his mom shows Audrey family photos. (laughs) And guess who's in some of those photos? Santa? Carter's dad! (laughs) Oh, decidedly not Santa. <laughs> like the opposite of Santa. <laughs> not even Krampus. <laughs> no. Audrey keeps that to herself until they get back to her place. And Carter can tell that something is wrong. And she tells him that she's recognized the con man as his father. And Carter is not surprised by this news. And he doesn't really act surprised. And she realizes as she's telling him that he knew already and didn't tell her. How long did you hold on to this info, Carter? (laughs) He says he's known for about a month. She is so mad because he hasn't trusted her with the truth. He offers to give her family the money his dad had stolen. Like, that's gonna fix things? Like, he is... He does not understand why she's mad, I think. (laughs) Yeah, no, he doesn't. If he did, he would not offer that. (laughs) No, he doesn't get it. Which I like that he doesn't get it. Yeah, it rang true to me. Yeah, (laughs) ditto. She's like, you just need to leave. And in my notes, I say, and just think, he made his own worst fears come true. (laughs) The prophecy has been fulfilled. Uh, We get another week passing of no contact. Audrey is still mad, but she also misses him. She still loves him. She's just, ugh. 
She can't be with someone who can't be honest with her, even when things suck. She overhears a couple co-workers gossiping about a different work couple, and that makes her start worrying about what other people would say if they found out about her and Carter. And that's another point in the story where I was like, missed opportunity. But yeah. It's fine, guys. No one knows. It's so strange. Maybe this was something that was brought up so much in the previous stories, so she didn't want to lay into it as much with this one. You know, the office place romance thing. Maybe. But it did take away from the story by not having it. Yeah, especially because it's hinted at. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be a thing. Not really. If this happened, it would be bad. But don't worry, it won't happen. Yeah, and I mean, the forbiddenness, I get the, the appeal of that, but... The reason it is, is because there's fallout. The consequences make it important, not just the fear of it. Oh, she she does the thing where she brings a bunch of papers up to Carter's office as an excuse to see him. He's kind of got all his walls up at this point. He's in full on protect myself mode. No, she shall not see my soft, vulnerable underbelly. <laughs> she says, well, maybe we should just end it. If you can't be honest with me, maybe we could just... we." It would just be easier to end it. And he's like, okay. And so she leaves and she doesn't feel any better because she's like, well, did he not care about me at all? <laughs> <laughs> Another week passes. Carter still seems to think that this is about what his dad did and not about the lie of omission that he did. He's still confused. <laughs> he vents to Tristan and Tristan says that the secret to a good relationship is to be honest even when it's terrible. And then Carter kind of finally understands. Oh. <laughs> oh, it was the truthful thing. Oh. Silly me. <laughs> and he decides he's going to try to win Audrey back, but he's worried about it because he's also going to try to be 100% himself and not the charmer. We've kind of learned a little bit during this part of the storyline when his dad gets brought in that that's something he gets from his dad the charmingness yes and it's something he kind of secretly doesn't like about himself it's a defense mechanism meanwhile audrey has gone home to talk to her dad she's close to her dad she tells she tells her dad that carter's dad is the con man who stole from them and her dad is like oh well that really sucks for carter <laughs> He feels sympathy for the type of mindfuck that must have been for Carter to learn that about his own dad. Mm -hmm. And then he reassures Audrey that as long as Carter makes you happy and treats you well, I don't care. Like, I don't care who his dad is. That doesn't matter. It's about who Carter is. His dad also speculates that the reason he bought into the whole con in the first place was because he was too hopeful rather than too cynical. He kind of knew going in that it was too good to be true, but he had hope. That bastard hope. <laughs> yeah. But he's kind of internalized that as maybe hope will lead him astray, but he'd rather not be super cynical all the time. And her dad says that he thinks Audrey is probably like that too. She'd rather be hopeful than cynical. And Audrey agrees. That's part of the whole thing with her passion for investigative journalism. When Audrey gets home, Carter is waiting for her out in front of her place, and he asks her out for pizza. They go to the same pizza place they've always gone to. They talk. He misses her. He tells her he hid how much it hurt him when she left, 
and he says he loves her and he's terrified of losing her. She says she loves him too and she does forgive him. She doesn't make it too hard on him. I think she just wanted him to understand. I agree. And now we have a time jump of three weeks. Audrey is moving into a nicer place. Carter has pulled a few strings to find a nicer apartment that she can still afford because it's rent controlled. They've made a decision about the relationship that they're going to hide it for another year. And then he'll step down as CEO of the globe and make their relationship public, which, okay, I guess. I mean, they've (laughs) successfully hit it this whole time. Yep. And then we get an epilogue with a time jump of two years. At this point, they've moved in together in Carter's place. She's published the piece on the con artists, and it ends up pretty personal. Both dads were interviewed. Her idol, Dean Allen, sent her flowers to congratulate her on the article. Audrey has been promoted. She's no longer a junior reporter. Booker has become the editor-in-chief instead of Wesley. We get a setup for the next book. Audrey and Carter are attending an event. I think it's the opening of a hotel or something. But the person who owns the hotel is Isaac Winter, who is Anthony's older brother. Anthony is one of Carter's business partners. So FYI, that's book (laughs) five. But they bail early. Carter takes her back to the bar where they first met and he proposes. And she says yes. There were a couple things that I felt weren't really resolved in the story. Why is the globe fine now? Yeah. At no at no point in the story were we led to think that things are fine. Things turned <laughs> around. It's okay. But it is? Why? How? Ooh. I didn't think there was very much resolution there. I mean, I'm glad things are fine. I wish I knew why. <laughs> and then, of course, the lack of repercussions of the work relationship. Yeah. Or even any acknowledgement of it whatsoever. Yeah. What happens when they finally, he steps down as CEO and then they make their relationship public? Well, they've obviously been together for a long time now. (laughs) (laughs) No one notices? Nope. (laughs) No one cares? Nope. It just seemed odd to me. Even if they could potentially have kept it secret, nobody accidentally photographed them or, or anything else. After it comes out, I would imagine people would start to go, huh, I wonder how long that was going on. Hey, I happen to investigate things for a living. Maybe. I know. Maybe I'll do some digging. (laughs) Exactly. I I like that it was expressly stated that her buddy reporter also got a promotion. Because then it makes me wonder. (laughs) It's like, well, someone who's less likely to be disgruntled if they're promoted. (laughs) Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's never going to come up now because, of course, the story's ended. So everyone will be fine. And if it does, it'll happen in the author's head. <laughs> Lucky them. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's fine. No one wishes them ill. It's okay. Yep. <laughs> He's just a billionaire who fired a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Yeah. None of them were investigative <laughs> at all. They don't care. Nope. They have no investment in this. They've moved on to better things because romance land and fantasy. (laughs) Who knows? That's the other thing. There were a couple points when it's brought up that 
those departments weren't working as hard as the other departments or were less necessary now. And Carter brings up something about how some people are really good workers and some people aren't. But nothing comes of that either. Because you can't make him too horrible because then he can't be the hero. Sure he can. It's a harder sell if they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I know you have bills and things, but the bottom line. But even he's replaced Wesley with Booker as editor-in-chief. Mm-hmm. There are a couple times where we hear stuff about Wesley from Carter's perspective mm-hmm. that he's not very good at his job and he doesn't really seem very genuine. He's kind of just a yes man to Carter. He kind of doesn't really care about the effect of advertisers on the integrity of the paper. Why wasn't he a bad guy? Yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I was expecting it. And then it didn't happen. I was like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. Because, yeah, she does a good job with saying he's less than stellar throughout the course of the story. And then there's the whole, oh, no, if people find out. And I just thought, well, here's a good cross section, right? Disgruntled Wesley could dig up this information well who else is going to even suspect because he's the one who's up in the executive offices where carter is yeah he's the only one who sees audrey making excuses to see carter yeah which maybe she's never done before so this would be unusual right it seemed like it was unusual for her the first time she did it he seemed kind of weirded out by it the second time she did it he was like oh yeah whatever Like I said, I thought it was going to be a thing. I thought that was how that was going to unfold. And then it didn't. And I went, all right, what you going to do? Because, of course, her reputation can't get besmirched. Why not? (laughs) She can't because then she's not the good girl. She can't be the heroine. Sure she can. mm, I'm just saying maybe that's the reason. A good heroine should be able to survive a besmirching. Oh, I agree. But. And she's a badass. She would not give up. No, I think she should have had to defend her reputation and all of those things. But that I didn't write the story. <laughs> How is the audiobook? The audiobook was good. It was narrated by Mercer Boffrey and Maxine Hamilton. They they did a good job. I don't know if I necessarily felt like there's chemistry between the narrators. It sort of felt like they were telling two different stories at certain points. And okay. that... Sort of kept with my my thinking of these characters are from two different worlds, despite Carter's humble beginnings. Because he wears a tux to a pizza shop. It was in line with that. Are you happy for them? I'm happy enough. (laughs) (laughs) Enough? How much is enough? I don't know. Reasonably happy? I'm not unhappy? What about you? I'm happy for them. I think they're good together. I... I mean, Carter has some flaws, but that's actually good. good. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey is pretty strong. She is not going to take any of his shit. So that's good. Yes. So I guess we can rate them. Yay. How do you rate Audrey? I thought she was awesome. I think she was strong. She kicked butt. She had boundaries. I enjoyed her character's perseverance and that she didn't just go along with whatever yeah i rated her awesome too i really liked her i thought she was very believable as an investigative journalist and super into it and passionate and 
Mm-hmm. She's not going to take any shit in that realm. But then in dating life, she's like, ah, no. <laughs> I wish that she'd had more friends. Yeah. I feel like she kind of just lives in a vacuum for most of the book, which was kind of weird. It's not really a issue with her necessarily, but it's kind of odd. She has the one friend who sets her up and we hear about them one other time and that's it. <laughs> Maybe it's because she's so obsessed with work. I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of weird that she's alone all the time. Like, okay. She seemed pretty isolated. She did. She didn't seem bothered by it, though. I mean, she no. was very self-sufficient. Yeah. How'd you rate Carter? I put Carter was awesome. I like that he did have his shortcomings and his flaws. It did it did take him. Well, my dad was. It's like, no, buddy. No, no. No. Is you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish he had had more emotional availability, but that was part of the thing that he worked on. Maybe it would have been better to have more of that. I don't know. Anyway, I thought he was awesome. I thought he was funny. Sometimes when he wasn't meaning to be. I rate Carter awesome as well. I really enjoyed his witty banter. Yes. I do like the witty banter. I liked that he didn't take himself too seriously. I liked that he didn't, for the most part, he didn't push Audrey's boundaries beyond what she was okay with. Yes. I think that as the billionaire in the relationship, it would be easy for him to do. Lots of other heroes have done. So I liked that he didn't. Yay, restraint. I appreciated that he did have some character growth. I wish that we had had a bit more awareness of his issues earlier on. I think that would have made a better case for why he struggled so much with telling Audrey about his dad. But overall, he came off as a believable human. I don't really believe in billionaires being nice, so that was part of the fantasy, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had talked about it before, and I'll mention it now because I remembered that I said I would bring it up. Billionaires are just the princes of today, especially in our capitalist society. We want to believe that they're gentlemanly and princely and all of these things, and they're not out of touch, at least not so far that they're not accessible. But they are out of touch. Yeah. There's no way that they can understand. I mean, I I assume so. I have never knowingly met a billionaire. Perhaps I have. <laughs> They've been incognito, and I have not realized. <laughs> but I think it's pretty fucking unlikely. Yeah, I think that's part of the fantasy of the billionaire romance, right? You know, he sweeps a regular woman off her feet, and he's wonderful and princely and gallant and whatnot. But ultimately, he's... A billionaire because he's had to make some hard choices in business. Hopefully hard because he has a soul. In this case, Carter's a self-made man. So, I mean, he has some awareness of his life before, but there's multiple times in the story where it's brought up that he is out of touch. He just doesn't doesn't get it now. (laughs) Yeah. He has spent too many years at a certain status level or socioeconomic class level. I think it's the first billionaire romance that we've read. I know we've read romances where there's been a billionaire or multimillionaire or whatever, but I think this is the first within that subgenre, right? Yes, maybe. I think so. It's not 
something that I typically go for, <laughs> like <laughs> at all. So it was it's interesting to to read it. I think the billionaire romance concept sits awkwardly next to the idea in my brain that money having it or not having it is not an indication on someone's character yeah and so it's just it's a weird dinner date happening in my head or bedfellows or whatever (laughs) you want to say because it is it's at least in our culture there's the idea of well if you have money you have worth as a person yes you earned it yes and nowhere is that better shown than the billionaire who made his own buck absolutely with the humble beginning story and it's just like okay (laughs) pulled himself up by his bootstraps yeah and i mean it it manifests in our lives in different ways right in the stories we tell or in how we think of the the people that are close to us i was thinking as i was listening to this how many times have have you thought of someone thought positively of them, list their attributes. And one of the things that you say is they're a hard worker. Oh, yeah. That's a huge thing. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Why? Yeah, it feeds into that American stereotype of the self-made man, mm-hmm. the self-reliant man. And granted, I mean, I I don't know what other billionaire romance character types are out there so i don't i don't know if he's normal or abnormal i did like carter it's not that i did not like his character but yeah it's i went in with certain preconceived notions of how i thought the story was going to be and i was pleasantly surprised when it did not meet those expectations (laughs) i've read other billionaire romances and i think i brought this up when we were talking before But one of the things I especially like about Carter is that he doesn't throw his money at Audrey. Yes. He wants to take care of her. He buys her groceries that she can eat because she just got mouth surgery. (laughs) And she didn't plan ahead. (laughs) Yeah. He buys her a lock for her door. But he's not putting her up in a nice place with his money or buying her clothes. There's a point where she's getting ready for an event and he's helping her pick out her outfit and he doesn't offer to take her shopping or anything. Mm -hmm. He helps her pick out from what she owns. Yes. I felt that was actually really different from a lot of other billionaire books that I've read. Oh. A lot of the time the man will have money and he'll just often forcibly throw it at the heroine. You know, like, no, I will pay for you. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> Whereas the times that Audrey and Carter argued about money, it really made sense. Like she wanted to pick up the tab at the pizza place and he wouldn't let her. That's an argument any couple could have. Or the thing about him not liking her apartment and her saying, well, you need to shut your face hole because this is what I can afford <laughs> on my salary. <laughs> Unless you want to give everyone at work raises, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm living. Yeah. This is what my salary allows for. Yeah, and he respects that, which I felt was unusual. (laughs) Oh, yay. Go Carter. Yeah. So good on the author for that. It made Carter more likable to me. Yeah, it did. And I think that if Audrey had said, I really need help with blah, 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 he would have. He would have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just didn't want to 
take control of her life. Yeah, he didn't want to assume. And he wanted to give her her agency. Yeah, he wanted her to be powerful on her own. And I shouldn't say give her her agency, but not mess with her agency. Yeah, he didn't want to take her agency. Yes. Which is an important distinction for sure. <laughs> yes. Sort of like, I think you're not ready for sex. <laughs> I think you're not ready for agency. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about any antagonists or villains in this story, Em? I listed Carter's father. <laughs> He's so influential. I think he was moderately effective. I think there were ways that he could have been more effective. But for the most part, he didn't necessarily feel awkward. I'm glad that it his journey you know he's trying to be genuine about making things better so yay definitely a feel-good aspect to the story and i guess i guess honorable mention is the right is the whole wesley thing it's like why keep telling me he's a shithead if you're not going to use him especially when there's this potential drama with the couple being found out as a forbidden although it's not forbidden because i think they even say in the story well, it doesn't say that we can't date. <laughs> yeah, Carter researched it and it was fine. I'm like, that seems unusual, but okay. Usually there's, if it's not forbidden, it can be strongly not advised or there are rules about that sort of thing. Yeah. Usually they don't just let employees willy-nilly with that sort of thing. But So yeah, I, I wanted... Wesley to be on this list, but he's not on this list. So I have a hole where a Wesley should be. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you that the main and arguably only antagonist in the story is Carter's dad due to the lasting impact that his shittiness had on Carter and how that impacted the story. I did like that Carter's dad wasn't evil. Yeah. He did horrible things, but he still seemed human. Like, he actually learned from it and grew from it. We're led to believe that he's actively working to make amends the best that he can. Mm -hmm. That he actually feels sorry or actually feels contrition, which is good. I thought that was interesting. I felt like the dad was moderately effective, like you said. I think that ultimately it wasn't really the parts of the story where the dad was there, it's more like what was missing from Carter's perspective in regards to the whole thing. Yeah. I don't think Carter was super in touch with his issues. No. That were derived from that relationship. I think that he was in denial about it and he just put his dad in a box, labeled it bad and was like, I am nothing like this guy. And yet he takes on some of those qualities like the charmingness Yep. I mean, he's successful and he's a business person and that's what his dad ostensibly was. And now Carter's doing the exact same thing, only, you know, legally and ethically. There's one point where he thinks that integrity is really important to him because his dad had none. But then we're shown that his dad kind of has learned to have integrity, I think. Yeah. So that was interesting. I thought it was okay. I feel like we could have seen more impact. Yeah. And then I, I agree also about Wesley. I feel like that was an, a missed opportunity for the story. He could have been a pretty good bad guy, but he really wasn't. He was just kind of like an annoying 
ineffective boss who got fired, I'm assuming. Yeah. I didn't really mention this at all when we talked, but there's also like the blind date of Brian Mm. at the beginning. Yeah. More could have been made of that, but really wasn't. He was just an instrument of the meat cute, really. You know, it's kind of one of those stories where no one's really bad. There is no real bad guy, really. I agree. I thought it was interesting how Carter's father used his kids' names and his personas when he robbed people. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. It was an interesting little tidbit where I was just, huh, huh. Yeah, well, there's. I feel like there's so much possibility for that character and that storyline, and it just got brought up in the final part of the book and ended up fine, so. Yeah, yeah. How did you rate the book? I really enjoyed it. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. And I gave it a (laughs) (laughs) 3.5. Nice. What about you? I gave it a 3. Initially, I was like, oh, this is probably a 4. And then as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, I'm kind of upset about the lack of resolution with some of the things. Well, like I brought up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wanted more resolution. (laughs) I, th- I think when it came down to me, because I was like a three, a three, a three, eh, a three point five, maybe. As I was going through it, like, yes, there was the lack of resolution and that kept it at three. But then I was like, oh, I really did like the banter. <laughs> yeah. I really did enjoy that. Well, okay, we'll make that a 3.5. <laughs> there, there's a lot of threads in this story that could have been pulled a little bit further along and turned into more. I think that would have brought it up more to a four for me. But I enjoyed reading it. It was funny and cute. Yes, yes. Carter was very fun. He was very charming. Audrey was really awesome. Like, yeah, <laughs> I know we rated her awesome, but she is. She's really good. She's a good heroine. <laughs> yes, she earned her awesomeness. Well, did you feel romanced? Yeah, I did. I mean, framing it as a light story, you know, I think that they had really good chemistry. I think that the physical scenes that were in the book were good. I think that we did get a lot of time with them getting to know each other. What about you? Were you romanced? No, I was entertained, but I didn't emotionally invest. So no romance. Oh, I know. It's okay. The banter didn't go that far, huh? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) That point five wasn't a romance star. (laughs) No. What else have you been reading? Well, I've been reading, or I recently finished, Sitting Pretty by Rebecca Tosig. It's her view from her ordinary, resilient, disabled body. In the book, she recounts her experiences with her body, with society, and society's treatment of her body. It was great. I loved how open and honest she was. It was very cool to see a fraction of what her world is like. And what living in the world is like for her. I think you'd really like it, actually. It's a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. For anybody who has interest, she has a list of resources and stuff for people who want to learn more. Oh, that's cool. One of the reasons she gives such a thorough accounting of her own experiences and her thoughts on the matter is because she's a teacher. So she bridges that gap between where the reader might be, possibly, and where she is. Yeah. It was great. I really liked it. 
She's rather uniquely qualified. (laughs) I feel like I never do (laughs) any of these book promotions or whatever justice. I'm like, it was great. And then I'm all awkward when I talk about it. (laughs) But it was great. Join the club. (laughs) People should read it if they're interested. (laughs) No, I mean, the fact that you bring it up is obviously you liked it enough to recommend it. (laughs) There's tons in there that I think that you would get out of it. So read it, woman. I'll put it on the list. Yay! I got a long list of nonfiction and it's long. Yeah, dude, join the club. I don't do I don't do nonfiction as frequently and voraciously as fiction, sadly. What? But I should probably pop in and check on that list. You should. <laughs> well, speaking of reading lists, what have you been reading? I finished My Foxy Mate by Susan Trombley. This is the second in the Iridian Universe Love Stories series. So it's a spinoff from her other series about the Iridian test subjects. I think I wrecked the first book in this love story series, the chameleon one. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, there's something that's sounding familiar about this, but I don't trust my brain. (laughs) Well, if you ever thought the fox in Disney's Robin Hood was attractive. Oh. <laughs> you will like this story. <laughs> we have an alien who is fox-like. He's a fox man, I guess, instead of a wolf man. I don't know. Foxy man. Yeah. But he's also quite a rogue rather piratical i do like my pirates yeah apparently (laughs) our our female character is divinia she has won a trip all expenses paid to this space station and she's super excited about it she's never been able to travel into space before and she's frustrated because she's forced into being on this super guided experience So essentially babysat throughout the whole term of her trip. (laughs) She doesn't like that. She wanted to experience the actual station and meet different beings and learn new things. So she sneaks out, escapes the tour guide, (laughs) and ends up meeting Suda, who is a fox-like alien, and he is willing to show her a good time. (laughs) Yay? Yeah. Yay. He, I mean, yeah, she's into it. He's into it. They go out. He plays this part of this very charming, roguish sort of debonair guy. Takes her out, shows her the sights, all this stuff. But he's actually realized that he's into her and she's going to be leaving soon. And oh no, plus when his past come back to bite him in the ass, Ouch! there are complications. Yay! It's a really cute story. This spinoff series of Trombley's is both of the books have been a lot more fluffy than the main series. Not to knock the main series because I love it. I, I think honestly, Susan Trombley is one of those authors at this point where I'm like, oh, I will read it because she wrote it. It's nice to have those. 
That's kind of where I'm at with it. But I really liked it. And I remember I texted with you about it when I was reading it. And I'm like sending you gifs of the Robin Hood cartoon guy. <laughs> and Yes, yes. Oh, who is the guy from Zootopia? The fox from that too. <laughs> oh. I know the actor is Jason Bateman, but I don't know what the character's name is. Let me... There's a place where we can go to find that out. His name was Nick Wilde. Ah, uh, yeah, Nick. Nick Wilde. <laughs> yeah, now some people I know were into him too. So I kind of think <laughs> that this book would work for those people as well. Oh, there you go. Charming, yet not necessarily all above board all the time. <laughs> That's it for this time. Yay, we did it. Check out our website romancemepodcast.com for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify, or find us on the hell site that is Twitter at RomanceMeCast. Speaking of Twitter, were you romanced by Audrey and Carter's story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. Hi! <laughs> I was expecting you to say forbidden like that and you did not disappoint. Oh! Yay! <laughs> I have a voice! <laughs> it's so good to know. The <laughs> voice. Oh, the voice. I have a the voice. Uh-huh. I feel like I have a couple of the voices. You do. <laughs> More than a couple? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> you have pattern? Or is that our pattern? I don't know. I've, my pattern notes are I survived a billionaire romance. Go me. <laughs> <laughs>